Hi and welcome to the Your Pet Business Content Your Way podcast. This week I am really excited to share a guest episode with a wonderful lady called Tracy McClellan. She is a dog trainer specialising in high prey drive dogs and she's talking about how she went from having a corporate career where she got paid lots of money to following her dream, inspired by her own dogs, of becoming a dog trainer and then again inspired by her own dogs going down the route of specialising in prey drive. Now, on this podcast, I normally talk about content marketing, we talk about social media, we talk about websites, PR, all those things. Tracy, with her content, has gone in a really, really interesting direction, which has led to brilliant inspiration for all of those other ways where we share our content that I've mentioned earlier. She has done a master's, and as part of her assignment for her master's, she did a study into Prey Drive, which was then published, and she moved heaven and earth to get it published, and it's led to fascinating things for her business, her authority, her membership. I love talking to Tracy. She's such a fascinating lady, and I think you're going to learn loads from this episode. We talk about social media. We talk about doing things your way. We talk about her own business model. We talk about her love of dogs. We talk about the algorithms. We talk about so many different things. But really, your takeaway and my takeaway will be about how Tracy just does things the way that she wants to do and how it's worked out so brilliantly for her. So I'm dead excited to share this episode. I'll hand you over now to the main chat with Tracy. I hope you find it helpful. All the links to go and connect with Tracy are in the show notes as well. So do go and check her out. Do go and find out more about this brilliant lady. Now on for the main part of the podcast. So hi, Tracy. Thank you so much for coming to join me on the podcast. It's great to have you here. It's, it's lovely to be here. Thank you for inviting me. I'm delighted. <laughs> oh, bless you. So tell us a little bit about you and what you do in your pet business. So I am a dog trainer. I work predominantly online and I work almost exclusively with people whose dogs have a high prey drive. And what that yeah. means is the dogs who would run away chasing things or might just go off after nothing at all it might be a smell that they smell that causes them to run off so those are the dogs the dogs that are problematic with squirrels or rabbits or sheep sometimes cyclists and joggers sometimes chasing cars but that's (laughs) those are the people who who I work with to help them with their dogs brilliant okay so tell us about how you found yourself going and working in that specific area so what I did what I have been a dog trainer for a really long time. I started off and I was a, I I started off like lots of dog trainers. I had a dog who was a real problem. He was a bull mastiff. He was very aggressive towards other dogs. And that's what started me down that path of learning about dogs. And then I, I went off, I'd learned to be a T-touch practitioner, which really helped with that dog, the dog that I had, Calgacus. And then he was he became really good with other dogs. So I went off to Bishop Burton College and I did an honours degree in canine behaviour and training. I started that in 2005, 2005. It was a long time ago. Wow. I spent five years, five years doing that course, taking, we used to go regularly to college. I would take, I had well, two dogs and then three dogs for the latter part of the course. I would take them all with me down to college. We were we were expected to turn up with our dogs to college and we were tested in our dog training ability as part of the course. So I did that for five years and then I started to volunteer. I started to do a lot of voluntary work with dog rescue charities. Um, I worked for about five years as well with a company in Scotland called Pause for Progress who help they have expanded a bit now I've not been on the board for a while but they were working with dogs in custodial settings so helping people in custodial settings by teaching them about dogs and dog training so I was a guest speaker for them and also on the board when the company first started for the first few years so I did lots of voluntary work and I really enjoyed it. I had a job that I loved. I didn't want to give my job up. So I didn't feel the need to get um to, to work as a dog trainer to earn money. I just I did it as a volunteer. And then I got made redundant. And when I got made redundant, I decided I would go back to Bishop Burton and do a master's degree there in applied animal behaviour and training. And I decided that what I would do is find a focus 
for my business. I'd started my business in the run-up to being made redundant. And at this beginning, I focused on reactivity because that was where I'd started. That's how I'd started with a with uh, with well, he was I would describe him as more aggressive than reactive but it was those dogs who are very uncomfortable with other dogs or with people that was kind of where I started and that was where I had a lot of skills and knowledge and I decided that that's what I would focus that was initially what I focused on and I created a couple of online courses to help with with those sorts of dogs that are, are reactive when I went to college um the second time to, to do my master's degree, I then had back. So what one of the benefits of, of going to an academic institution is you access to a lot of academic papers, the ones that you would ha- normally have to pay for. Usually the colleges and universities pay subscriptions for those. And if they don't, they can they will get you access if you need a paper. So I could suddenly had access to all of this research and literature that I didn't have before so I started looking at pre-drive and I did that because after my after my aggressive dog I then got a dog a few a good few years later um, who turned out to have a very high pre-drive and he really completely changed the way I thought about it. I'd started off my dog who was aggressive towards other dogs, Capgacus, also did have a high prey drive. He would chase and catch and kill rabbits. He would chase deer a long way. And because he was quite easy to train uh, to stop doing it, I thought I was a real expert. He was a bull mastiff. He wasn't a trainable breed. So I just felt like I was an expert. And then I got cooling a collie cross and he showed me that I didn't know as much as I thought I did. And when I was trying to get help with cooling, I found it very, very hard to get help with cooling. It wasn't impossible, but it was harder to get help with him than it was to get help with a bull mastiff who had really badly hurt another dog. I mean, yeah. I, I felt as though it should have been easier with cooling and it wasn't easier with cooling. And so I, when I started college, I started looking into research in that area and there what I found was there wasn't all that much and also you know by then Cullen was was fine he was completely fine we'd kind of worked through all the issues and everything was okay with Cullen but I noticed that other people were having trouble in those areas you know in Facebook groups and things and I thought you know I'm not alone and I am not alone in having this struggle there wasn't something unusual about my dog I'm I'm not alone so I decided that I would focus my research then in that area for college and also kind of switch my business and do like focus more on that specific area rather than because I know loads of really great dog trainers working with reactive dogs I know loads of them but I don't know as many working with prey drive I do know one or two, but not not nearly as many. So I felt as though it would be good if I focused my efforts in that area. Plus, I find it really interesting. I I, I just yeah. find it completely fascinating. So it was an easy switch for for me to make. I really like dogs with a high prey drive, and I deliberately go out now and look. If I'm looking for a new dog, I'll go and find one that hopefully will have that sort of drive, and. Uh, so so that so it's become a real focus for me personally as well as professionally. But I don't feel the same way about reactivity. I would not yeah. go out and look for a dog that's going to bark and lunge every time they see another dog who's very worried about other dogs. I just I would not I would never look for that in a dog. So mm-hmm. that's why I decided to make the switch. I I decided I would switch to something that I felt personally much more invested in and, and where I feel as though I can make more difference. Mm-hmm. Are you able to put a bit of a timeline on it? So when did you have this? When did you go and do your masters, and then and like kind of have this decision? Well, so I had now it was a bit of a long decision because I was kind of looking into all of this before I started my masters. Really started with cooling, so probably started at the early stages as far back as two thousand and nine. Mm-hmm. And I and I worked away on this, and I, I I would periodically read up about it, and and often what I read, I would think, but that's just not my experience. 
as what I'm reading doesn't match up with what I've experienced with my own dogs. It just it's not the I'm what I'm reading about is not the same. Mm-hmm. This is very interesting. So so I so I had all of that kind of going on in the background for a really long time. And then I started my master's course in 2020. 2020 yes mm-hmm. in the autumn of 2020 I started my master's course and that was then gave me a whole lot of extra access and lots of assignments to write and I, I could often um I could often fo- I could often focus myself on you know I could focus assignments on something that was related to pre-drive so the the, the questions tended to be broad enough that yeah. I could I could pretty much for everything focus it on my the area that I was interested in and I was I, you know I was looking to see if I could understand partly why everything I was reading didn't match my didn't match up with the experiences I'd had with my own dogs um it was yeah that was where it all came from and that's the Mm -hmm. kind of timeline okay and then you so I know from working with you over the last couple of years that you you've done your own research now and which is now in it's published which is amazing mm-hmm. so tell us about that and how that came about and what I'm, a little bit of I know from knowing you of, of, about all the work that went in there but yeah <laughs> tell us a little bit about doing your own research and what that was like. So so I um, I do have a background in looking at data and analysing data so my job prior to being made redundant I worked in IT I worked as a developer but I worked as a developer for for a very long time you know since I started that job in 1997 and I kept it and so we were and I worked in financial services so all financial products are just data there's nothing there's there's no physical product for you know when you get a pension it doesn't exist in the real world it's it's a kind of made up thing um one of my friends who resigned said she couldn't she she went off to be a university lecturer and she said she did that because she couldn't bear peering into a made up world any longer (laughs) financial products are all made up really and it's all data that's what all they consist of. So I had a real background in looking at data and analysing it and using that to help companies make decisions about what they were going to do next and what products they might bring in and what they might do differently. So that was so that was a real background for me. And part of what I had to do for my master's degree was do some research and write it up into my dissertation. So we did two parts. We had to do... A, a review of the current literature in our chosen area and also some conduct some original research and write it up and the college I went to Bishop Burton College and they the course that they run that master's course is really well put together so one of the things that they did was when we were doing our dissertations they said here is you know, the journal that's most aligned with this course and here are their submission requirements. So format your work in their format and then if you want to, you can, you could submit it to the journal and see if they will publish it. And and sometimes it's not unheard of. I've got a few friends who have had their master's work published in journals so it's not entirely unheard it's unusual normally by the time people are finished with a master's course they can't bear to look at it again because it's because it's so much work but um in in my case I could bear to look at it again because I, I was really interested in the subject and what I'd found in the literature review was that there wasn't in in my view, enough literature. There's not enough research in the subject. So I decided that I was just going to submit what I'd done to the journal. And I had to do a little bit of tweaking of both the literature review and the um research to fit in with exactly with their format. And then I just I sent them off. And what is really daunting for that sort of journal, what can be really daunting for people is there's a peer review po- process. So you send in your work and then 
other people read it and come back to you with a with quite a lot of comments, often quite harsh comments. Some of them aren't they, they don't always feel the need to word it nicely. So you get yeah. all these comments back and then you have to like it can be a bit of a process. There's a there's a whole lot of toing and froing to get published in that sort of journal. And I think that can be off-putting for people. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a problem to me because I when I worked in IT, we peer reviewed absolutely everything. I never I didn't ever make a single system change in in 22 years that somebody else didn't look at and give me some kind of a critique of and mm-hmm. tell me oh I, I think you've often like was similarly very useful I think you've forgotten something oh yes you're right just as well I got you to look at it so that's the purpose really of a peer review process and and so I did that I sent my articles off I waited and the journal, uh, the editor of the journal told me that he had found it quite difficult to find peer reviewers for the work that I'd done, I think, because it's not that big a field. It's not that well-researched. But anyway, he really persevered. He was like super helpful. And he really persevered in finding people who could peer review my articles. And, and that happened. So I then went round the loop of doing a lot more, doing much more work on them again to get them ready. And then the journal after that agreed to publish them, which was great. Amazing. I know how much work went into it because we were working together around, you know, but well, we still are working together. But I remember at the time when all that was happening, it was like, come on, it's like the the final mile of a marathon, but over and over and over again, isn't it? Yes. Oh, I kept thinking, oh, that's me finished now. And then there was another thing to do. I mean, it did, it went on and on and on. And it is a, it's, it's an unbelievable amount of work but the reason I the reason I could keep going with it was because it's so closely aligned with my business so for me it made perfect sense to invest that time because it's it's entirely aligned with the work that I do and that was that was what I wanted to get out of my master's course was I wanted it to really closely align with my work so that you know I felt previously when I did my last dog training degree I just did it for fun I didn't you know there was no it had nothing to do with me I was working in IT it had nothing to do with IT and I I just kind of did it out of interest and similarly I many many years before that I did a degree in philosophy which again I just did for interest I did a degree in philosophy and then I worked as a computer programmer and but with this one with this course I really wanted it to match up with with what I was working on and I wanted it to be of use to the people that I work with yes so I was keen to be finding things out that could that would be helpful for like the people I'm working with and would give me insights into what they what they are going through and what things might help so that was Mm -hmm. really my driver yeah it's really interesting to um have this chat because we're in the, I've just, I've just recorded another podcast about short form content, and this is the total, total opposite, isn't this it? Is exactly <laughs> what but also, like listening to what you say about why you did it and the benefits it brings for your clients, I can totally see why you did, you did um, do what you do. Because and oh, there was a, a line that really jumped out at a podcast that I recorded a few weeks ago, that's published in series one, and it was from Jane Arden, who I know we mentioned earlier, and she said you know for as a dog trainer and I think it applies for any any anything that you do get good at what you do and then get better and this yep. is like such a good example of that isn't it you've got these clients they've got the dog and you your own dogs have prey drive you know it's a problem and it's like you've you've got access you have been given access to all of this amazing information that you know is really really going to help them so ultimately you've put yourself through the ringer but you know that it's going to really help people, isn't it? And I know that yeah. will have, I know it did keep you going when you were going through those those really, you know, it's tough. It's hard doing something really big like that, isn't it? So, yeah, oh, so I wanted, is. yeah, I just wanted to, so I guess my question, which is very long-winded, is, um, like, yeah, it is about, like, what do you think the benefit is? I know there's so many of having that, having what you created that research that that journal that was published what is the benefit of that so so the benefit for me there's 
there's always two sides to, to dog training because you do need to be good at it. You do need to like really hone your skills. So the other thing that I did at the start of my master's degree, which was slightly unexpected, um, the other thing I did at the start of my master's degree was I got a working cocker spaniel puppy. Um, it was she she came along at exactly the right time. I had not planned to get a puppy yeah. during my master's because I knew it was going to be a lot of work. But anyway, she came along at exactly the right time. She is an absolutely perfect. She's nearly three now. She's an absolutely perfect, <laughs> perfect dog for me to have because what she let me do... So Cullen was kind of elderly by then and we'd worked through all the issues and it was great. His, he, he was really he benefited enormously from working through all the all the issues that his pre-drive had caused us. But it, what I wanted was more practical experience as well as the learning. So I, so I was lucky enough to have this amazing working gawker who absolutely has got all of that sort of drive and she let me hone my skills. So mm-hmm. she's helping me to continue honing the skills that are the practical skills. And then as well, I was able to get the kind of the knowledge to back up what I'm seeing. So I think that often for me, that's the ultimate is to have the knowledge and the skills. Yeah. Because without either one, you don't you can't do as good a job. You you do need you do need both. Mm-hmm. And I what I see often is people wanting to kind of split them apart yeah, and say, oh, well, I don't need to have lots of knowledge because I've got tons of experience. That whole, I've been training dogs for 20 years, yeah. so I don't need to, I don't need to because I just know what to do. Um, and then other people saying, well, I've got lots and lots of knowledge, so it doesn't matter as much if I don't have as much practical skills. But I think you need both. You yeah. need to really work hard on on both things and also for for dog trainers on yeah. people skills as well because really you're teaching you're teaching people yeah more than way more than I mean I I'm almost exclusively teaching people because I work mostly online so I'm yeah. almost exclusively teaching people but all dog trainers are teaching people more than dogs yeah so, so that's so that's the other thing but yeah you need and I felt as though what that experience through my master's gave me was both things yeah the knowledge to back up what I'm seeing and experiencing and the yeah. skills to to like go out with my own dog and say well here is here's what I think here is yeah. what I am doing and here's why I here's why it's working and then I can pass that information and that knowledge and those skills to other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and having that, I remember when we first spoke and you had Ren and she was a tiny little puppy. Oh, she was tiny. And then having having that live, I know it's from Matt Sander, but she was a live case study, wasn't she? Because mm-hmm. you were seeing her develop and actually seeing all, seeing all these things come, literally come to life in your own dog, which must have been so fascinating. And yeah, so rewarding as well when you... You just have that amazing insight as into all the, the things that are going on with her. Oh, absolutely. And she was, when often I say, often the prey drive really comes out during adolescence in dogs. That's a really common time for people to suddenly yeah. run into difficulties with it. It was there, it was there in Ren from eight weeks. She was. Yeah when I even from from the moment I got her I was like yes you are going to you're going to be extremely interested in all sorts of wildlife and she absolutely is she's so perfect so yes it it really helped because I because there is a real thing about having that lived experience of living with the dog yeah I think it's very, I mean, I used to go with a friend years and years ago um, to the SSPCA centre in Stirling before it shut down. And we would go every Saturday and we'd take all the dogs out and we'd walk them and we'd train them. And uh, we always felt as though, oh, well, this dog would be so easy. You know, look how, how eager this dog is to be trained. And the, the reality is that if, I, if we'd taken any of the dogs home, 
they would have, we would have uncovered lots of things that made them quite difficult to live with. And there would have been lots of challenges along the way. And I think that's it's an easy trap to fall into when you see dogs for like an hour a week if you work face-to-face and you see them an hour a week and everything seems fine. Yeah. It doesn't give you that same experience of living with a dog. I, I, I have always quite liked to have lived with a dog that's got the sort of things if I'm working on helping yeah. people with issues, I like to have lived with dogs that have got whatever it is, so that I under I really understand what it's like to mm-hmm. to be living it. So so Ren was perfect because it I, it gave me that rather than it being a historic thing, like my bull mastiff stopped chasing mm. things and he stopped killing rabbits, that was all great and Coolin could go off his lead without disappearing for hours on end, that was all great, but that was all historic and it's nice to live through it again yeah. as a, in, in a fresh way. Absolutely. So tell us about how, because I know when you did your... Um, when you did your studying and your research for the journal, I know you did lots of, you had like surveys and um, you had Mm -hmm. regular pet owners contribute as part of it. And then obviously you published it, you had the journal published. So how has the, I guess, the research side of things and then having the journal actually published, how has that impacted on your business and I guess your audience growth as well? Because like I know it probably will have helped with that when you did your research. Yes, yes. So I kind I tied it all up into my web. So I put my survey, I hosted the survey on my own website so that when people went there to fill in the survey, they were on my site and also I got them they they could sign up for um they could sign up to a mailing list, they could get I think I had an ebook that they could download. And the, and the college encouraged us to provide additional information because sometimes, you know, some of the people I work with are having a really hard time with their dogs. Yeah. You know, I'm working with people who sometimes, you know, they they have been injured by their dog pulling them over or mm-hmm. their, their their dog has been lost or there's, there's you know, they've had something really difficult happen. Yeah. Um, and so because I, I was aware that I, I probably would be getting people to fill in my survey who we'd be having a very hard time. I wanted to make sure that I could give them something. Yeah. So I so I did. So that helped to build my audience, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I also did, because I, I was trying to get as many people to fill in my survey as possible, and you know, it's hard to get, it's really hard to get people yeah. to fill in surveys and things. So I asked um, a number of dog training organisations if they would share it for me. And and luckily, lots of them agreed. I just emailed them and said, please, would you? I'm trying to gather, I'm trying yeah. to do this research. Please, would you share this with your members? And and if you're, if you're a dog, if you're an organisation who has, if your members are dog trainers, could you ask them if they would share it with their clients? Because I would really like to get as many people to fill this in as I possibly can because what I wanted them to do was fill in a survey and then I wanted people to send me video my research was really about the video footage and I knew that that was going to be difficult I knew I would get far fewer videos sent than I would get surveys Mm -hmm. filled in which is absolutely true I had about 2,000 survey responses and approximately 90 videos so that's amazing Tracy uh-huh. we fewer videos though yeah it's because that was why I was really I really pushed the survey because I knew that as soon as I started asking people to take video and send it in a lot of people at that point would say absolutely not I'm not videoing myself because yeah. I wanted them to be in the video as well it's a huge ask so I got a lot of dog training organizations to share my work and that kind of let them know who I am as well. So when the research was published, I emailed them all to say thank you because they did really they did really help me. There's no way I would have got that volume of people responding without that help. That made a massive difference. So so they mostly got back to me and said, yes, that, thank, that was great. We're really glad. Um, some of them said, if, would you like to join us? So I'm in the process of 
um, applying to to join one of them and yeah. um, and Fenzy Dog Sports Academy got back to me and said would you come and do a webinar for us on this subject because we are interested in learning yeah. about we think uh, we think the people who you know are our clients would be interested in this yeah so so I did so that did so it's it has all really helped it's made I couldn't quantify how much difference it's made yeah but it's definitely made a difference yeah oh my gosh I can imagine and um and then the the actual journal being published what has it because I know I know you we've worked together for a long time now and I know you are a very lovely humble person but who who doesn't boast but I want to know like what has the journal been like for for your profile and what's it like for you I guess when it comes to your confidence having that I know how hard you've worked but you know how does it feel to say I've, I've published a journal feels amazing yeah because I know it's an unusual thing to, I know it's unusual for master's students to get their work published so it feels amazing um and it it has really helped with my confidence because I think when I first started I was really second guessing myself and yeah. I was saying oh well you know this isn't my experience and I'd, maybe I'm maybe I'm doing something wrong, and I kept on kind of looking at what everybody else was doing and and feeling like I should, like almost fall in step with them. Yeah. And and since since doing all of this work, I've gone no no, <laughs> the research just isn't there. This we need to really change how we're talking about prey driving dogs and and how it's being thought about. So it's given me the confidence to say all of that. Yeah, and to talk about all of that very strongly, much more so than I would have done a few years ago when I was mm -hmm. at the start of, you know, moving into this and really, you know, dedicating a few years to it. I didn't, ha I didn't have the confidence. I mean, mm -hmm. I was, I was helped massively because with Coolin, I kind of just figured out what I needed to understand by going out with him. Mm -hmm. I mean that's what I did I just went out with him and I yeah. figured it all out as I went along and what, what one of the things that really boosted my confidence was um, I met a German dog trainer called Simone Mueller who actually came I met her when she came along to my book launch I, I wrote a book about Calgakis and his journey out of aggression towards other dogs and when I, I did a launch event for it and a local dog trainer, I did invited a, like a bunch of dog trainers came along and spoke at my book launch event. And one of them said to me, oh, Tracy, I have got a student with me at the moment. Simone, would you mind if she just came along? And I said, oh, not at all. That would be great. So Simone came along and then a year, and then oh, I can't remember, it must have been a year or two after that, she came back to Scotland to teach a workshop on prey drive because that's her area of focus as well mm -hmm. and when I went along um to see I took Cullen along to see what Simone was doing and she what she was talking about was so similar to what I had done with Cullen that it made me feel really validated because I went this is good because this Simone was kind of following a process that's I think fairly common in Germany because in Germany electric shock collars have been illegal for quite a while now mm -hmm. and so they have found other ways here in the UK it's still common reasonably common for electric yeah. shock collars to be seen as well, this is the last resort if you've got a dog where it, where the behavior is really problematic mm -hmm. um, and in Germany that's not an option so they have developed this way of working with the dogs to help resolve the issues and when Simone when I went to Simone's workshop, wow, loads of this is what I'm doing. This yeah. is great. I feel really so that started me feeling quite validated and started to give me a bit more confidence. But now I've got now I've got a lot more because I know that I've got excellent skills and excellent knowledge, which mm -hmm. is what I believe that that you need. Yeah, something that you said there about the about the shot collars and the impact that you've had. Like I was yeah, as you know, I keep saying this on the podcast, but um, just in case there's any new listeners when we talk about dog training, I don't have, I am not a dog trainer. I just yeah. talk to lots of dog trainers. And um, 
But yeah, what's really interesting, right, is when you were talking about ProDrive and you were seeing you were seeing advice and seeing material that was at odds with what you were seeing in real life with your own dogs, and then and you mentioned the the electric shock collars there as well. You've you you've what to me as a regular dog owner and also journalist as well. So that's kind of with that hat on a little bit too. I'm hearing from you that like you are a real leader and innovator and and yeah, like a thought leader in this area. If we go back 20 years ago, you know, you probably would have looked at papers and there wouldn't have been a lot of positive reinforcement in them. Do you know what I mean? It would have probably been a similar thing then. And what you've done for Prey Drive and creating kind ways to deal with, you know, kind ways to work with dogs with Prey Drive is similar to, I would imagine, you know, what people were doing at the early days of positive reinforcement training. So it's just, yeah, I just think it's incredible what you've done. Well, I, I do. I feel as though one of the things that we that needs to change is this view that it's something we have to stop the dogs from doing, mm. because the reality is that an awful lot of our dogs that land with us as pets and companion dogs have been bred selectively at some yeah. point. Some of them, like immediately, like my cocker, immediately have their their immediate ancestors are are working dogs and they have specifically been bred with the view of creating dogs who could do the job that they were yeah. intended to do and some of them it's a little bit further back some of them it's very it's much further back some of them um some of the toy breeds even can have quite high pre drive and they're many generations away from from being working dogs but most dogs at some point in their ancestry were bred to do something with pre yeah and 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 they tend to they love it so this was one of my drivers with Coolin. I had lots of advice from lots of people about how to stop him lifting his nose into the air and then running away for hours I had lots of advice about how I could stop him doing that and I kept on saying to people but I don't want to stop him doing it and the reason I didn't want to stop him doing it is because I could see what Cullen looked like when he'd been doing that activity and what he looked like was the happiest dog in the world. Yeah. And he loved to follow scent. It was all that he wanted to do, really. And so I kept on saying, but I don't want to stop him doing it. He loves it. Yeah. If I stop him doing that, his welfare is going to really suffer. So... I'm not looking for a solution that will enable me to stop him from doing it. I'm looking for a solution that will enable him to pay attention sufficiently to where I am that he doesn't get lost and then isn't gone for hours and hours and hours. I want, you know, what I'm seeking is a kind of happy medium. That's what I'm looking for. That's the solution that I want because I don't see that this is a problem that should be stopped. And so for me, that's, that's, the, the crux of the of the issue is when I look at a, a lot of the advice I see is positive methods to suppress dogs from engaging in in their pre drive or negative methods to stop <laughs> them. But I but I think we need to like yes for sure we don't want to just let our dogs run amok in the countryside killing anything that they come across that's absolutely the case and we don't want them to get lost or hurt or injured or be shot by farmers or be killing livestock we don't want our dogs doing any of that but what we do need to recognize is that they have got that need in them Mm -hmm. and so we have to find ways to fulfill the need rather than like the focus rather than focusing on just stopping it you can't just stop it that's why when i when i said oh i want to get a dog that's going to be fairly similar to cool and really like to use their nose and really will feel very fulfilled about running around in wildlife saying that's what i want a dog that's similar to cool and mm-hmm. that's why i went and got a working cocker because i knew there was a high chance i would get a dog exactly like that i mean the, the individuals vary but i knew that if i went and got a working cocker, the chances were it would be similar enough to cooling. And that's exactly what happened. And I could be sure because of the selective breeding that goes on. Mm-hmm. So you've got your approach to ProDrive. You've done the you've worked really you've done all the studying, you've published a journal and you've now got 
an online business haven't you where you yes. support people who need your support um, and your yep. expertise and again they, it's all relatively new isn't it because you said yeah. you, you did your master's in 2020 and then started your business um so yeah so what's it been like having like yeah what does your business look like now and how do you you know how have you grown and and yeah what does your business look like and how do people find you and how do you use all of this hard work that you've done to to kind of fuel your business I guess yeah yeah so I so when I started out I created my business in I think 2018 it, it started to exist and I at you know I hadn't run a business before and it had never been in my plan to be a business owner that was yeah. not part of what I wanted to do my plan was to carry on doing the job that I had I loved my job and my plan was to carry on doing that job and carry on doing my voluntary work that was that was what I saw my life as being like. So I therefore didn't know anything about running a business or having a business. So I thought, this will be fine. I'll make a little online course and I'll just earn my living selling that online course. So easy peasy, what could be easier than doing that? <laughs> so, oh, oh, how we laughed. <laughs> yes, I laugh looking back. But that was, <laughs> that was what I thought. Um that is that's what I thought would would be what I would do. So I made my very first online course, which was called How to Love Life with a Barky Growly Lungy Dog. I made that. I like it. And and yeah, <laughs> yes. And and people did buy it. But what I found was I wasn't enough people weren't buying it. I mean yeah. nobody knew who I was. I, I was yeah. just somebody that had, I had lots of dog trainer friends, but I wasn't trying to work with dog trainers. I was trying to work with people with dogs so I had no real audience I didn't know what I was doing that's why we started working together and so I've done lots of learning lots and lots of learning and over time um so I went through a phase where I made lots of standalone online courses yeah and people could just buy them and then work away in them by themselves but then I, I didn't really like that because I like to have the contact with people. I like to see yeah. how they're getting on. So what I did then after that was I decided, in fact, nearly a year ago in December last year, I ran a five-day challenge, high pre-drive challenge. Um, I'd previously run it in the September, but I hadn't really had anything to follow on from it. I yeah. just ran it to see would people like this? Would it be useful? And actually people did really like it. So I did it again in December and I decided that what I'd do is I'd start a one-year membership mm -hmm. for, that people could join and every month we'd do something new about pre-drive. Yeah. So that over the course of a year, I'll cover everything really that they need to know because it's a big subject and you can't do it all like fast. Yeah. I wanted to be able to work with people over a period of time and be able to support them over a period of time. So I started that in, well, the first members joined in December and it kicked off in January. And so I've now got about 78 members, I think. Yeah. So it's gradually growing. And most, well, for me, most importantly, I love running it. Yeah. I absolutely love running it. I um, get, I find it fascinating the people who come and work with me are very dedicated to their yeah. dogs and they're very keen to work on whatever we are doing so for me it's very rewarding because I'm attracting people to me who do do the work because I know it's yeah. a common complaint with dog trainers is people you know not doing the work but I'm attracting people who do the work and yeah. who um get on and and work away with their dogs and are yeah. seeing like the progress that I'm seeing is absolutely blowing me away it's it's working better than I thought that it would so I'm planning to just keep going with it and growing yeah. that membership mostly because I like to have the contact with people I like to be talking to them regularly and I like to be in regular touch with them I didn't I found it quite unsettling when I would just sell courses to people and they would go off and work on them and then I wouldn't really hear yeah. from them so this is working this is this model is working much better for me and that's important um 
one of the things that I've always said is it's really important to enjoy your work because I yeah. did because I had a job that I loved and so when I was setting up my business I wanted a job I wanted my new job to be as good or better than than my old job um, and it is it, it absolutely is even with all the uncertainty of owning a small business which is far more terrifying than I had anticipated <laughs> at the start yeah. <laughs> I thought it would be easier <laughs> and it's not oh, easy uh, no it's not is it but then you you do something that you love and like your pack that I love that I love that you've gone down the membership thing and I know we've we've worked together in my yep. membership as well for for over two years now and I to- I'm totally with you with the whole I don't like giving people something and leaving them, not in a weird, controlling way, but giving them people giving people stuff and leaving them on their own. It's like, oh, you know, like with Prey Drive, you need to have that interaction. You need your Prey Drive um, dog parents need to, be able, need to be able to chat to you about what the hell's going on on the walk. And my clients, I just want them to be able to come and talk to me if, they want, if they're having a bit of a wobble or if they're stuck with something or, you know what I mean? They just, yeah. you, you need that, don't you? I think um the the whole passive income thing sometimes is we're being sold a bit of a pup with it because I, if you really care about what you do you you want to have that interaction with your clients don't you and you, I bet you, you have so many great stories from it don't you I do and oh you, and you do want to have that and because that was my a big part of my job in IT was helping people um I I helped I mean it was it was a very different subject I helped people understand a complicated commission system and I helped them understand what was in it and I helped them make business decisions based on that information and that was my area of expertise there it was a very small area it was very niche um and and that was my area of expertise in that job and I really liked it and I liked the contact I had you know I worked with people for some of them for 20 years um and and then the company who were my customer they gave me a job I worked for them for a year as a data analyst and I might have just gone on in that in financial services I might have there was a point where I might have just gone on doing that but what happened well it kind of they gave me that job during the pandemic and what they're lovely they're such a nice company everybody I worked with was so lovely they couldn't have been nicer but they didn't really give me anything to do or not much to do and I didn't feel as though I was helping anybody I I, I, I was getting paid very well for doing three days work a week I mean I, I was I was earning you know I was earning a lot of money for that because data analysts typically are and that every, the IT typically is quite a well-paid industry so I was earning a lot of money for doing that but I it made me quite depressed because I didn't feel at all useful I didn't feel yeah. like I was helping anybody and I mean I would literally turn up so I worked on our Monday Tuesday Wednesday and every Wednesday we'd have a team meeting and so every team meeting I would say oh, I could do with a bit more work and um, I could really do with a bit. I could really do with a bit more work. Is any, is there anything that I could help anybody with? And several people in the team would always, oh, Tracy, that'd be great because I'm snowed under. That would be so good if you could. So I'd say, well, that's great. I'll be back in on Monday if you can like send me over whatever it is you need me to do, and I'll get on with it. And then I'd come in on Monday and there'd be nothing. And it yeah. made it was so destroying. I got to the point where I. I, on Sunday nights, I felt that whole depressed about mm-hmm. Monday feeling, which I didn't feel in my in my previous job. I, on Sunday nights, I went, oh, brilliant. It's Monday tomorrow. I get to go to work. And I started to feel depressed on a Monday night because I knew I was going to, on a Sunday night, because I knew I was going to go to, I was going to dial in. I worked remotely. I knew yeah. I was going to dial in and have nothing to do. And And I knew that that wasn't, that and and I knew that we. I mean, this week I, I, I had the job for a year. It was like that. It was like yeah. that every week. And in the end, I kind of did have to make a decision because I had this because I was trying to build my business, which is hard to do on you know when you're working three days a week in somebody else's business. So I was trying to build my business. I was about to start my master's course, and I was also getting my puppy. And so eventually, I said, "You know what? Something has got to give here." And this job while it's 
a nice job. It's very well paid. It's very easy. Um, I this is the old thing out, and also this is causing me a lot of angst. I, I'm yeah. not happy about this, about what's going on in this job. So I'm just going to stop. It was only a year's contract, so I just said, "Look, I'm not going to, I'm not going to renew my contract. I'm just going to leave mm-hmm. at the end of the year." Because and and I did it partly because for me, enjoying my job is 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 so important is because you spend a lot of time at work don't you so it's very important that you are doing something that feels good to do I mean obviously there's stressful times in every job but like overall that you enjoy and you look forward to doing so that's what I've got now now I've, I've my membership I'm very enthusiastic about it because I can see how much it's helping people yeah and also I really enjoy running it and I kept my hand in with all the IT stuff because I just make my own website. Mm-hmm. It's all it's all very homemade, but it's fine because I've got the skills to do that. Yeah. So and and the interest in it, you need to I think you need to love it to to do things the way I'm doing it. But that's fine because I do. So yeah. But but for me, that's it's so important for business owners to to to, to run their business in a way that works for them rather than in a way that they feel if they should. Because I, yeah. I know for ages I felt as though uh, maybe I should just do lots of face-to-face teaching mm-hmm. and maybe I should do that. And and eventually I said, no, I shouldn't because then I won't enjoy it as much. Mm-hmm. And if I don't enjoy it, I'll just go and get a job as a developer. Because exactly. That, because yeah. it, it, because it, I think it would be easy to do because apparently there's a shortage of developers. And... And yeah. whenever I whenever I go into that accelerator course, and if I say to people who are working and kind of have got tech businesses that I am a developer, they say, "Oh, you know, you could get a job really easily if you wanted one." Okay. <laughs> yeah, um, what I was gonna what I was gonna say as well is it's about just having courage in your convictions, isn't it? Like whether it is like sucking off your really well paid job, yep, um, <laughs> or you know going against the the you know everything that you're reading when you were doing your studying it's about taking those big leaps of faith isn't it and and they've really worked for you so I so you've got this you've done all of this studying you've created this brilliant membership you've like you've just followed you yeah followed your gut and your heart and everything to do what you do like on this podcast we talk about loads of different things like here because like I'm talking your content is a totally different type of content which I really love and it's totally worked for you which like it's just fab a lot of people who listen like the, the, they do you know I guess it's social media first and like when we were talking earlier about short form video and you've obviously got this huge 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 like amazing resource thing that you've created how does that like yeah I guess my question is like what do you do social media wise does social media help your business like how do you use all the stuff that you've got and make it work on social media Oh yeah, social media. So I love. I actually really like social media. I know it gets a bit of a bad press. Yeah. People say it's draining. I and I don't like overwhelm myself. I only use Facebook and yeah. YouTube a bit. I'm trying yeah. to. I'm trying to do, be more consistent on YouTube, not very successfully at the moment. <clears throat> but um, I do. I really like social media. So I I spend a lot of time. I write posts. A lot of the time, I run my little online challenge on Facebook. I don't run my membership on Facebook um, because while Facebook's a fantastic tool, I don't find it really easy to use for for memberships. So I do the membership on my own site. Um, But I I do use social media, so I make videos and I write. I I like writing, so that's Mm -hmm. written things are easy for me to do. So I, I kind of just try and create posts from things that people have asked me or things that I've seen asked in my group or whatever the subject of that I'm going to be doing that month in in yeah. my in my membership then I try to I, I I just kind of try and sit down and create posts for Facebook um and videos for YouTube sometimes that covers all of that so yeah. I I do feel as though and I bet I've got an email list as well that I build up with various you know free things I have my, yeah. my my 
um, five-day challenge that I run a few times a year, which is free. So mm-hmm. that's great for helping people get in touch and stay in touch. Yeah. Um, and yeah that's why that's kind of what I do but I do like I really like social media I think it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a useful tool as long as you understand that you know it's run by a computer program it's not run by it's not I mean I know people run run the company but they're processing so much information yeah. that it's not really being overseen by mm-hmm. humans so the trick to it I feel is to make sure that when you see that dog trainer down the road that you absolutely hate because he trains in a way that you don't like that you don't go and comment on his posts because <laughs> as soon as you start commenting you see a whole lot more of them it needs a bit of self-control to be positive so I do lots of clicking on um, adverts for companies that sell chocolate brownies that's a good idea and things like that well because it 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 shows you I mean it's a computer so it can't really tell very well you know if you're interacting with something because you love it or you're interacting with it because you hate it and to be honest the Facebook doesn't care the whole purpose is to keep you on the platform Mm -hmm. as long as possible so that they can show you lots of adverts and you buy things that's that's kind of that's why it's free um so they don't care if if you are the sort of person where you every time you see something you don't like you get on and you have a go and you, you yeah. write a big long post about it and you get really annoyed, they don't care. They'll show you more of that stuff so that you yeah. keep doing it, and they don't massively care about the impact that's going to have on your mental health because it does over time. It's very draining to do that. Yeah. I know because I have done that before, <laughs> um, not on Facebook, but. <clears throat> In the pre-Facebook days, I used to spend a lot of time on forums arguing with people about dog training methods, and I don't do it now because it's tiring, Um, and it's draining, and it makes you feel overwhelmed. So now I comment on things that I love, and I click on lots of posts about chocolate brownies and comment on their things, and then that's mostly what I see very little of the things that are that, that would upset me because I spend a lot of time quite actively trying to help the the algorithm show me things that I like and not things that I don't like yeah very good advice there and um yeah I've I've been so I've discovered (laughs) at the age of 47 meditation but it's been brilliant because like every time you do I do these um 10 minute meditation videos uh, or Mm. audios when I'm doing my doing my eyes I've got this eye condition I have to do put this mask on my eye on my eyes twice a day anyway there's loads of wisdom on these videos but one of one of them was about how like you know we see more of the things that we focus on so if we're focusing on the terrible dog training down the road or you know something negative then we're going to see more of it and it's just so true in life isn't it um and I also love what you said there about just keeping it simple there's another dog trainer I know I think you'll yeah you'll definitely know Aileen Stevenson Mm -hmm. she's she's you're I love reading your posts on social media. I think that you, you're you, you're obviously a brilliant writer because you've written God knows how many words, but um, and you know your background and stuff. But you just um, yeah, everything you write is meaningful and it's simple, and you you write in a really just I, I think I just a way that's very easy to read and enjoyable. And Aileen again, she came on the podcast and she she does she's a brilliant writer too. She was just saying like what you just shared there. I just write about the things that I've been doing or the things that people have been asking me about or the things I've been working on. And, and it works, doesn't it? Yeah. It brings the right people to you. Um, it, it definitely does. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, I often think that whenever you do anything and it's new, it's really hard. So when I started doing, when I started learning to be a computer programmer, it was so hard. I was convinced I would never learn Um which is what lots of people had told me before I got my job. Well, you don't know anything about computers. You would never be able to do that sort of job. Um, and when I started the job, I then started to think that, that those people were right because it was so hard. I couldn't understand at all what I was supposed to be doing. I felt like I would never get a grip on it. But actually, the company that employed me, we would have a two and a half year training program for new recruits. And at the end of the two and a half years, you were competent barely competent at your job and then you it took much longer to learn to be good um and so so we worked through that it took a long time and at, at, at first I didn't enjoy it at all I was like I hate this this is so hard I can't do it and 
it's so it's just too difficult for me. But after a few years, it got like really easy. And then after a few more years, well, not easy, but I got to enjoy it. Yeah. And after a few more years, I, I really liked it. And I, and I liked it to the point that when I knew I was going to get made redundant, we had a long, long redundancy process. It was it was quite traumatic for everybody because we'd all worked together for so long. It was it was difficult. It was a difficult time. Um, but one of the things I said was, I don't. I don't know what's coming next. I don't know exactly what my life will look like after this, but it will involve doing this sort of work. I'm not giving yeah. I'm not giving this up. Um but to start with, it, it was so hard. I hated it. I would have done, you know, if somebody had come along then and offered me another job doing something else, I would have taken it. The only reason I didn't was because I was so tired all the time because that because it was so draining to try and learn how to be a programmer. I just I, I didn't have anything left so there was no way I could look for other jobs I was just there clinging on and hoping to get through every day as best yeah. I could and eventually it became something that I loved so much that I, I just I would not give it up and you, and you don't need to you can send ITs and everything so there was no need to give it up um, it fits in beautifully with my new job yeah. but I think everything's like that so I feel as though this is running a business is probably similar it gets mm -hmm. you know eventually you go do you know what I love this and I know what I'm doing with my social media now and I know how I'm going about I know how I'm going about finding getting the helping the people that need my help to find me I know how I'm doing yeah. all of that I've got a process and I know what to do I, I feel as though that's what it's got what ha what will happen yeah as long as 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 long as I keep persisting yeah I think that's the key. To, I, I I am convinced that that is the key to lots of things in life. Is to you just have to keep doing them. Yeah. And, to, and eventually, they get easier. Yeah. And you get good at them. And as long as you know you, as long as you haven't made a mistake and it's something that you are never going to enjoy doing, then that's the key is to just to persist. So Tracy, like we've talked about loads of stuff today. And I know you've had your amazing corporate job and all the things, and then you've done your studying, you, and we're here now. Uh, what would you say the biggest thing is that you've learned? So my biggest lesson is that when you run your own business, you can do things in a way that suits you. And I don't think I don't think that's obvious. It wasn't obvious to me when I started out. I felt like I had to fit in with everybody else and kind of follow what everybody else was doing so that I was doing it properly that was very I had, I had such a strong feeling that I wasn't if I did things my own way I wasn't doing them properly but actually one of the things about being a business owner is that you can do things so that they work for you rather than feeling like they need to work for you know feeling like you need to fit in with everybody else that's what you do yeah. when you have a job when you have a business you can design it to work the way that fits in with you that's one of my that's my biggest lesson I think since I've started yeah. this whole thing definitely and that's what I guess that's what it's all about isn't it that's why we do this and definitely this is why I've changed the podcast to go in this direction as well mm -hmm. so yeah I think that's just such a good message for us to wrap things up on so tell us where we can find out more about you then Tracy your website and your social media pages and stuff so my website is called bestdoglearningandstuff.co.uk I have got a YouTube channel which is I'll send you the links it is um training high pre-drive dogs I think that's what I called it and I've got a Facebook group called support for high pre-drive dogs as well that is is just free for anybody to join so my website's got various links and things that folk can click and join in with and um yeah absolutely do get in touch I do have an if you go on my website you can join up my emailing with my email list and mm -hmm. I do send out a monthly newsletter which I'm quite consistent with I'm good at a yeah. newsletter um and I also send emails if I've got anything new happening or you know when with my membership like I'll send out emails every month to say this is what we're doing this month do you want to join yeah. in um because people can do they can sign up for a month and leave and and sign back up again if they want to people don't often do that but it, it's certainly open for anybody yeah. that wants to to do that 
Brilliant. Thank you. Well, it's been fab having you on the podcast. Thank you so much. And yeah, I look forward to seeing you soon. Look forward to seeing you soon. Hi, so I hope you really enjoyed listening to that interview with Tracy. There were so many lessons in there, weren't there? The one for me was about how you don't have to do what everybody else does and you don't need to fit in with everybody else. That's what you do when you have a job, not when you have your own business. And you can just make your business work the way you want it to work. That was my biggest lesson. I'd love to know what your lessons were too. Do come and connect with me in the Your Pet Business Content Your Way community. And if you'd like to work with people like me and people like Tracy, then do come and think about joining my Pets Get Visible membership as well. If you'd like to know more about that, then just send me a direct message or have a look in the show notes for this episode. I'll be back next week with a solo episode of the podcast. I hope you have a brilliant rest of the week. Look forward to seeing you soon. And thank you so much for supporting the podcast by listening in. And do go and check out Tracy as well. She is just brilliant, isn't she? Bye for now. See you soon.